Good morning, everyone. It is great to be here uh, this morning, and it's glad to see you all. We are continuing our studies in Mark, looking at our third section. Uh, we're looking at uh, the temptation of Jesus, and we'll get into that momentarily. But as per usual, we will lay our foundation and remind us of why we are doing this study and how we can learn from it. So Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 9, it says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So our goal is to see Jesus and his life and to see how he lived his life on this earth and to uh, follow after his example. And then we go to uh, John chapter 21 at verse 25 in reference to how uh, Mark is presenting the life of Jesus. It says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So we notice very early on that Mark is writing at a very fast pace. He is the shortest of the four Gospels. His letter is the shortest. And uh, he focuses on over 20 miracle stories and really focuses on how active Jesus is during his life here on earth. And so we see that Mark cannot record every detail and none of the other uh, Gospels can record every detail because the world could not contain the books that would be written. I want to say one more introductory thought, and I think this is uh, interesting. Uh, I learned this over the weekend, studying for this weekend, uh, you know, for this particular sermon. And uh, there's a Greek word that I want to bring to your attention, and it's a very interesting word. The, the Greek word is hupogrammas. And this word, it refers to a writing desk in which Greek students would go and they would learn the Greek alphabet from alpha to omega, the first Greek letter to the last Greek letter. And this word is actually used in Scripture, and it actually used, is used in reference to Jesus, of how we should follow after Jesus' example after we learn from beginning to end his life. So look at 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 21. The Greek word hupogrammas is actually used in this verse. For, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his stamps. And the word example is that Greek word hupogrammas. And so I thought that was interesting, and that definitely applies to what we're talking about today. As uh, Peter is saying that Christ has left us an example because of his suffering. So we begin our study in today's section in the book of Mark. Looking at the temptation scene. The temptation scene in Mark chapter 1. Uh some introductory remarks about Mark chapter 1 as a whole. We said last time uh, that, you know, Mark chapter 1 is, is presenting the glory, is uh, being 
presenting Jesus as glorified as the Son of God. And we've seen that thus far and that John was preparing the way for him just as a servant would prepare for a king to enter a city. And we see that God the Father himself glorifies Jesus when he calls him, You are my beloved Son, and I am well pleased. In verse 11, and here we have verses 12 and 13, and the scene changes. This small moment in the gospel uh, changes the, the mood of the letter. So verses 12 and 13, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. I was thinking about this last night, and again in doing some final preparation work, that the challenge with the gospel according to Mark thus far has been you have sections that are two or three verses long, and they don't present a lot of detail. They say, this is what happened, and now let's go on to the next thing. And we talked about the key word being immediately. Uh, again, speaking to how much of a fast pace that Mark is writing here. But uh, let's break this verse, these two verses down, and then we'll make some applications, and we'll make some points uh, from that. So, the first thing off is we notice the word immediately, that this happened directly after the baptism, uh, as the way Mark is writing it. And my translation says the Spirit drove. Uh, I don't know, I'm not sure what the King James says, but that uh, Greek word for drove gives the idea of cast out, to discard, to almost throw into the trash is kind of a practical way that you would use that. And so here we have Jesus, you know, being glorified in his baptism, and then immediately he's thrown out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And the other accounts, Matthew 4 and Luke 4, says he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, you know, Mark mentions the 40 days here. And he was being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And we see at the end of um, you know, Matthew 4's account and at the end of Luke 4's account that the angels did come and minister to him. So, I want to ask the question very early on. How is Jesus going to be glorified in a temptation scene? Well, let's think practical. We take the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day. The bread represents the body. The fruit of the vine represents the blood that was shed on the cross. And we ask the question, well, why was that blood shed on the cross? Well, to give us forgiveness for our sins, to pay the price for our sins. And the way Jesus would be glorified in a temptation scene was to be not to give in to said temptations. That would be the only way that his blood would remain unstained and perfect and pure for him to be able to die the death that he did on the cross. He had to overcome these temptations in order for his blood to remain that perfect and pure uh, atoning uh, sacrifice. 
And here we'll notice when we get, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 4's account uh, in conjunction with this. We'll notice that Satan is going to use his same tricks over and over and over again. Satan doesn't have any new tricks up his sleeve. He works the same way every single time. And I think we have a passage of Scripture that perfectly represents that. If we look at 1 John chapter 2, at verse 16, we're all familiar with this verse, I'm sure. It says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, you know, most other translations say the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. It's the same uh, idea here. But those three things, Satan uses them every single time. Nothing new coming from Satan. Now, how he uses those three things come in different shapes and forms, but the basic three ideas are there. So let's go back and look at Matthew chapter 4. And let's look at how he gets, how he tries to tempt Jesus using these three things the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. So, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 tell us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, and he was fasting those 40 days and 40 nights. And then at the end of verse 2, it says he was hungry. And then the tempter came, verse 3, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Lust of the flesh, first thing he throws at him. Why? Jesus is hungry. Jesus is in flesh and blood here. He is a human being. And he... Uh, suffered and, and dealt with the things that all humans dealt with. Hunger, thirst, need for sleep. Jesus experienced all of that. And Satan knew that. So when Jesus was fasting for these 40 days and 40 nights, and he knew that he was hungry, he said, here, prove to me that you are who you say you are. Make these stones bread. Now someone might look at that, well, why, did Jesus, why didn't Jesus just say, well, pick up that stone there and it will immediately become a loaf of bread? Why didn't Jesus do that? Because Satan wasn't trying to get him to prove that he was the Son of God. Satan was trying to get him to give in to his temptation. Jesus was at a very weak point here. He was hungry. Satan knew it and he took advantage of it. That whole, if you are the Son of God thing. Jesus never backed down from an opportunity to prove who He was. But He knew that Satan was not trying to get Him to prove who He was. Satan was trying to get Him to give in to His temptation. Make bread. You're hungry. Eat. But Jesus answered, verse 4, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus passes his first test. It is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3, uh, that every word 
is from the mouth of God is how we should live. Jesus has his mind set on the spiritual things. And I want to make a point here that just because this temptation scene, this is the only time that we get this temptation scene where it's Jesus in the wilderness and Satan's there tempting him with these things. This is not the only time that Satan tempts Jesus. Jesus experiences temptations his entire life. And we'll, we'll uh, recognize that a little bit later. But let's recognize uh, the other two uh, tricks of Satan. If you look at verse 6. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Pride of life. The devil can quote scripture too. Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. So Satan can quote scripture too. But again, he comes at it if that if you are who you say you are. Makes it sound like you're just proving who you say you are. But again, Jesus recognizes the fault. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16 And finally, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Lust of the eye. The one that gets most people, honestly. And you see this money, this power, these kingdoms. You can have them. But you have to worship me. And Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13 there. <clears throat> so now that we've examined that, we see that Satan is using these same tricks over and over again. He's the, it's the same tricks that he used in the Garden of Eden. It's the same tricks that he's used throughout history. And it's the same tricks that he used right here with Jesus. But Jesus didn't give in. He overcame his temptations. And that's why he is the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. I remember one of my Bible classes when I was in college. And we were talking about some applications of the gospel and how... Uh, you know, the work of Jesus and what that meant for us. And one of the applications that he gave us reads like this. Jesus came from God as the ultimate and perfect representative of God to execute the will of God on earth. Jesus, the perfect representative of God, came to earth to do the will of God. And this proves that point perfectly. Jesus 
perfectly executes the will of God. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4 at verse uh, number 15. Hebrews chapter 4 at verse 15. And this is how I know that this wasn't the only temptation of Jesus. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted like we're tempted. The lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Jesus was tempted just like we are. And yet he didn't give in. And I know that this verse is talking about Jesus because verse 14 names this high priest as Jesus, the Son of God. So that settles that. But I want us to think about this from the devil's perspective. And you might, you might not fully understand this, but let's think about this from the devil's perspective. Why would Satan be trying to tempt the Son of God? He knew who he was. The other demons knew who Jesus was. Why would he be trying to tempt him? Why would he trying to make him slip up? Because Satan equally knows what God's plan is. Satan knows what's coming. And if he can stop it now, if he can stop it at an early stage in Jesus' life, then he's won. And I believe that's why Satan is doing it here. If I can get Jesus to slip up early on, I can stop God's plan, and I've won. But little did Satan know that Jesus would be strong enough and stronger than anything else that he could ever throw at him and be able to overcome. I want us to look at an interesting passage. And I think that this uh, is a good application point, and I think this is a good time to do it. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1 is where I'm going. First Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 25. I thought about this, and I thought about it, and thought about it, thought about it. And, you know, 1 Corinthians 1.25 just really says it. It says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, Paul is not saying that God has done something foolish Paul is not saying that God is weak. He's saying if God does anything foolish, it's still going to be smarter than what men can do. And if God has any sign of weakness, God will still be stronger than men. Imagine Jesus, God in the flesh, God with us as Matthew says in Matthew 1.23 and other passages. And then, you know, like John 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, imagine Jesus, God in the flesh, Jesus at his weakest, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, hungry, 
weak. Jesus was probably at the bottom of his physical life at that point. At that early on point, that is. But yet, he was still stronger. Because if we were in the wilderness, if we were in that same situation, and Satan says, you can make these stones bread, or here, here's a loaf of bread, take it. A lot of humans would probably get up and take that loaf of bread, honestly. Our, he shows us, you know, the, the, the money, the power, the kingdoms. Well, yeah, I like that. That's a good idea. Let's jump at it. Most humans would probably do that. But not Jesus. Even at his weakest, he's stronger than men. Because Jesus has a purpose, and Jesus is committed to that purpose. Doing the will of God. Drawing His creation back to God the Father. Overcoming sin and death. That's Jesus' purpose. And Jesus is committed to carrying it out. And we see that right here in this temptation scene. So... How do we learn from this that when we are at our weakest, Satan is going to attack us at our weakest, but we use the promises of God to fight back. Jesus used Scripture to fight back, and He won all three temptations. And Jesus is committed to serving God and carrying out the Father's purpose. And Jesus asks us to have that same commitment. He knows that we're going to fall short. He knows that we are still going to sin because we are physical. Excuse me. We are physical and we are temporary and weak. But because of the finished work of Jesus... We can overcome sin and death just as Jesus did. We've talked about the wall of separation, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. It's not that God can't hear your prayers. It's not that God can't reach down and save you. It's that our sins have built a wall of separation between us and God. Jesus' purpose and Jesus' promise to us was to attack that wall of separation at its very foundation. Destroying sin and death. And that wall of separation just crumbles. I want us to read some passages from Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6. Beginning at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin. Once for all, 
but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 11 says it all. Because of Jesus' death, when Jesus died on the cross, he conquered sin and death right then and there with his death, burial, and resurrection. And death no longer has dominion over Christ, and Christ died to sin, and because of that, we should also follow in his example. Like that writing desk that I mentioned at the beginning, Hupogrammus. Look at Jesus' life from the beginning to the end and follow after his example. Even his example of suffering, as 1 Peter 2.21 says. So Jesus suffered temptation. And temptations are a form of suffering. But we follow Jesus' example. And that is our encouragement. And it's a promise that we can always lean on. And I think, you know, with Jesus being glorified as the Son of God, being able to overcome these temptations and to fulfill His purpose, that's, that's a very encouraging lesson. If you come back tonight and join us, we're going to focus more on Jesus in our key passages series. But for now, if you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, if you haven't conquered sin and death by obeying the gospel, we would encourage you to do that. But if you have obeyed the gospel and you feel like you've fallen away, you've let sin creep back into your life and, and take back over, there's still a way out. There's still hope for you. We're about to sing this song, Rescue the Perishing. And friend, if you're living in sin, you are in fact perishing. Won't you please come? Let us help you. Let us help you overcome the temptations of Satan because we know that Satan uh, uses his same tricks over and over again. Let's sing this song of encouragement. As together we stand and sing.